Hi guys, how are you today? I hope you are um, having a wonderful day so far. My name is Bailey Sarian, and today is Monday, which means it's Murder, Mystery, and Makeup Monday. If you are new here, every Monday I sit down, I do my makeup, and I talk about a true crime case that's been heavy on my noggin. And um, it's, yeah, it's a good time. I just kind of like sit here and jib jab. And if you're interested in true crime and you like makeup, I would highly suggest you subscribe. So I thought today maybe we could just like take it back a notch. It's still bad. I mean, people are still dying, but it's, you know, it lets dabble in the mystery part of my series. Uh, dabble do dot. Let's talk about some people who, who have just vanished into thin air and like, so today I'm just gonna be talking about a few different people who have literally just vanished into thin air. Some have been found and some have not. It's just very mysterious. Like what happened to these people, you know? Like it's just so weird. Um, I haven't done anything like this on my Monday video, so let's get into that. The first mysterious case we will talk about is a tale. It's like some people say it's not real and then some people say it's very real, so. You decide what you believe. It's a tale of a young boy and he was given the name Lost Boy Larry. In August of 1973, CB radio operators in California received a mysterious transmission from what seemed to be a young boy pleading for help over the radio. Over the radio, it was reported that a young boy was crying and sobbing uncontrollably, which made it difficult for anyone to fully understand what he was saying because he was crying so heavily. And then there was also poor signal, which added to the confusion because people were hearing crying and sobbing, but it was also breaking up, which made his pleas incoherent. Tons of people reported hearing this over the, the radio airwaves. What could be heard was that the boy called himself Larry and little Larry claimed that he had been out with his father rabbit hunting in New Mexico when they had been in a car accident. Larry said that the red and white pickup truck him and his father were in, it had overturned when they were driving and it also like gone and swerved into a ditch, which then in the process trapped the both of them inside. On the radio said he couldn't get out of the truck because the doors were jammed shut and there were rock walls on either side so he couldn't open the door either door and he just couldn't he couldn't get out of the car the little boy um we don't even know if he was little but we're assuming he's a little boy he just sounded terrified and he also said that he thought his father had suffered a heart attack or had been severely injured his father could have possibly been dead because he was slumped over the steering wheel and had not moved since the crash. He also claimed that he had no food or water and had no idea where they were. Uh, little Larry here, he was using the radio that was in the truck to try and communicate with anybody he could on the outside. But again, he had a really hard time because he couldn't describe where he was so anybody could come and find them. The transmissions continued over several days and were picked up by numerous CB radio operators around New Mexico and California, and even as far as away as Wyoming and parts of Canada. So a lot of people claim that they heard it. Now it's said that a lot of people couldn't under fully understand what he was saying because there was just um, a lot of static happening 
and it was like cutting in and out. And then on top of that, it seemed like Larry, who was on the radio, he was like often changing the channels, which could have been out of fear or panic, or maybe because he just didn't know how to work the radio or clear a connect with some help. The signal was also fading in and out either from interference or because the battery was dying. Not helping were the various operators out there who began to mimic the distress messages as some sort of like sick joke. Um, they were making fun of the boy, they were pretending to be him, pretending to cry, um, giving him a hard time because they believed that this was a prank. Like no one really knew if this was real or not. So people did report this to authorities out in New Mexico and them thinking that there is a missing boy out there in the wilderness somewhere trapped in a truck and like slowly starving to death. A search party was organized consisting of hundreds of people on the ground as well as numerous civilian and military aircraft. They were searching the remote areas of New Mexico from where it was thought the transmissions could be originating from, but they turned up with nothing. When they were searching, they weren't finding any trace of a red and white pickup truck like the one described, and there was no evidence that there was even a Larry at all. And then at the same time, Larry's signal gradually faded and became more distorted with static until it, it stopped altogether. The authorities not long after called off the search just in case stations were set up in the area to pick up any more potential messages that might happen to, to emerge from the airwaves, but there was only silence. The thought that it may have been a hoax was feeling more and more true to authorities and the people helping search. People were thinking it was a hoax because again, they searched high, they searched low, and they just weren't finding anything. But also authorities had found no one by the name of Larry that had been reported missing the entire time. No father and son had been reported missing by any name, like in general. So authorities officially said, this is this has gotta be a hoax. Put it out there to the public that, yeah, this is, this is a hoax. Like, let's leave it alone, whatever. But despite them officially coming forward saying, we believe this is a hoax, some of those people who had actually spoken to Larry insisted it was all genuine. There was one guy, he was an army surgeon, and he claimed that he had spoken to Larry for nearly three hours. And he truly believed that the boy, it was in real trouble, like it wasn't a hoax. And then others believe that if it was really like a an elaborate prank, how come no one has ever come forward claiming the like responsibility for it? I mean, that's what people were saying, but then I was thinking like, well, why would they? They'd probably be in deep shit because that's a lot of like taxpayers money for that search and stuff. But wouldn't if somebody like came forward and said like, oh yeah, that was so-and-so, you know, people talk. People don't keep secrets very well. Little lost boy Larry, was this all a joke? Or did a young boy really die out there alone as his radio signal and life dwindled away? The case to this day still remains unsolved, whether it was a hoax or not, and it has baffled people for years. But my thought on it, because I thought this story was really interesting, but I also found it a little 
that this army sergeant had talked to him for three hours, allegedly, but within those three hours, they weren't able to get any more info or help him get, like, figure how to get out of this truck that he's locked in for three hours? Nothing? Like, what did you talk about for three hours? He didn't give you any details, like, where he lived? Like, what his house looked like? You got nothing in those three hours? The case of Lost Boy Larry joins a long list of strange phone calls from those who have gone missing. Another fairly well-known case is a strange call made by a 19-year-old college student named Brandon Swanson. Now, Lost Boy Larry, it could have been fake, it could have been real, we don't know. But these next ones are real people, for sure. Why am I laughing? It's not funny. On the evening of May 14th, oh my gosh, didn't we do another case where it was May 14th? Whatever, it doesn't matter. Okay, on the evening of May 14th, 2008, Brandon had been out partying with a group of friends in Minnesota. He decided to leave the party and head home. And on the way home, he managed to crash his car into a ditch. Now I read that he crashed his car and then I'd heard that he just kind of like, went off the road a bit and got stuck in a ditch. So I think it might be he just got stuck in a ditch, to be honest, because crash sounds so dramatic, right? Like I thought like, oh my God, it like overturned and I, yeah. Anyway, so let's just say he got his car like stuck in a ditch. It's late at night. So Brandon gets out of the car and he's trying to get his, his, uh, his car out of this ditch so he can get himself home. But he was unable to get the car out by himself and he had no transportation, obviously, because his car's stuck in a ditch, Bailey. He called his parents at around midnight asking for them to come and pick him up. Brandon told his parents what happened and where he was. And his parents, they were like, sure, like we will come and get you and help you out or like get your car um, out of the stitch as well. Brandon told his parents that he was uh, near a small town called Lind. But when his parents got to the location, Brandon was nowhere to be found. He, he wasn't, he wasn't there. You know, so they're a little annoyed. So they call Brandon and they asked him, can you explain where where you are? Because we're here and you're not here. They're talking to Brandon and they're like, okay, we're flashing our headlights. Do you see our headlights? You know, they're telling Brandon, find, find us. We're sitting here flashing it. So Brandon says, I don't see your car. I'm not seeing the headlights. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Where are you? After driving around and talking on the phone for around 45 minutes, without locating him, Brandon tells his parents on the phone that he's just gonna head to Lind, which is like the small town that he's close by, or city, whatever. And he was just gonna crash at his friend's place for the night. So he could just walk there, like no problem. So they stayed on the phone a bit longer and Brandon said that he could see the lights of the town in the distance and he could also hear running water. And then all of a sudden on the phone, you hear Brandon say, Oh shit. Well, actually it was more like this. Oh shit. And then the line went dead. Brandon's parents tried to call him back numerous times. Every time the calls went unanswered. Brandon's parents did report this to authorities and a search was launched involving hundreds of people and even um, their trained search dogs. And this search would go on for around four months. They searched over a hundred square mile area without finding any trace of him whatsoever. Police end up finding Brandon's car 
but it was nowhere near where he told his parents um, he had been. Authorities were also a bit confused because the area that Brandon had been traveling, he was very familiar with this area. So it was a mystery how he could have gotten so hopelessly lost and how his car had ended up so far off, off the path. Now, when they searched Brandon's car, there was no evidence at all that there was any type of foul play or that he had a, any desire to want to suddenly run away. There was just no evidence to prove like, wh where did he go? So there have been a lot of theories suggesting what may have happened to Brandon. Now, I guess there was a river that was close by and a lot of people believe that he must've fell into the river. Cause remember on the phone, he said he heard the water and then the, oh shit. So it sounded like maybe he slipped, he fell into the river, and then he was washed away. Some believe that he was met with foul play. Somebody must have like come up behind him. He yelled, oh shit, because maybe somebody grabbed him. One thing that was really interesting, especially to like authorities and even his family, was that the phone was purposely hung up. It's not like the phone was disconnected. It's not like the phone was dropped and you heard nothing or whatever. Brandon on the phone said, oh shit. And then the call was disconnected. It was quick. It wasn't oh shit, a little like ruffling noise. And then a thing, it was oh shit, boom. You know what I'm saying? So that was something that a lot of people thought was like important to know. If he did fall into a river, let's say, and you wouldn't be falling into a river and think to hang up your phone, right? If somebody came up behind you, grabbed you and you yelled, oh shit, your first thought wouldn't be, let me hang up this phone call. You know, you would be on the phone like, someone just grabbed me. Or you would throw the phone, you would drop the phone. If you fell into a river, you would drop the phone. It was hung up. He hung up the phone because when I first heard this, I was like, oh yeah, he must've just like fell into the river or something, but it totally made, like you wouldn't hang up the phone if you were falling into the river. Like it's little things like that that can really make a big difference. Another thing that was really important is that when his parents were calling his phone back, the phone rang and rang and rang. Um, and then it went to voicemail, meaning that the phone was still on and it was still working. You know, when your phone is dead or a phone is broken, a phone is shut off, whatever, it goes straight to voicemail. Or maybe it rings one, two times, and then it goes to voicemail. But again, his phone was ringing, 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 and then it would go to voicemail. So they knew that his phone was still on. They have done searches on and off throughout the years, and they have failed to find any clue as to what happened to Brandon Swanson. And it seemed like Brandon had just vanished into thin air. To this day, um, Brandon has not been found. It has led people to sit and wonder what happened to Brandon? What happened? Why did he yell, oh shit? And that could have been his last words ever. Brandon has not been seen or heard from since. Isn't that weird? How do you just vanish? Another strange case is a 24-year-old man named William Hurley. So William was originally from North Carolina and then he ended up moving to Quincy, Massachusetts. Oh my God, okay, look, I know this isn't the time and every video I have issues, right? Like every single video I have issues about me not being able to talk. Massachusetts, I, this is one of those words that I cannot say. I think every video I have a word that I, 
but I used to get made fun of for this one big time. Sorry, Massachusetts, I can't come visit you because I can't even pronounce your state correctly. Yes, 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 I see your comments. I'm an idiot. Why are you watching me then? Joke's on you. Anyways, back to William Hurley. So he moved to Quincy. And now this is like a suburb of Boston. And he moved there because he wanted, or he was living with his girlfriend, Claire. And on October 8th, 2009, William got invited to go to his, like his very first I think it was a hockey game, but he had never been to one before and his friend invited him and he was like, William was really excited because he'd never been. This was gonna be his first game. He was gonna go out with just his friend and it was gonna be a really good time. After the first period is when William suddenly complained that he was like really tired from work, that he just wanted to leave. And it was weird because like he was so excited, you know, it just, it didn't make sense. Like you were just really excited to be here. You're tired, but okay. His friend was like, okay, yeah. I'll see you later, man, whatever. Once he left the stadium, he calls Claire and he asks uh, for Claire to come and pick him up. So Claire's on the phone with him and she's like, yeah, like, where are you? Cause I need your location. And William responded with quote, okay, I'm not a hundred percent sure where I am. Now, when William said that, a person walking by and you could hear him in the background, he says, you're at 99 Nashwood Street. Claire hears this. She hears like the person who's walking by, I guess, say that. And then William kind of laughs and like says, thanks man, I guess I'm at 99 Nashwood Street. And Claire's like, all right, like I'm, I'm like right here, I'm right around the block. I'll be there in like two seconds. And William says, my phone's at 1%, it's gonna die. So I'll just wait for you right here. That way you'll see me and then, yeah. So you won't be able to get a hold of me. Now, Claire, his girlfriend, she said that she was literally right around the street. It was gonna take her all of a minute to get to him. I guess she was like in the area waiting for him. As she turned the corner to, to his location, she's looking for William. She's like, where is he? You know, he said he was right here. Like she didn't see him. So she's like, okay, well maybe I'm confused. Let me kind of like just drive around like in a circle and just see if I spot him. He probably just kind of wandered a little bit, like whatever. And this whole thing was just really weird to, to Claire and like to any of us really it would be because she just talked to him. She just heard him say that he was right there. And she again was a minute away. So where did he go in that minute? So this is just like baffling to Claire. She's like, what the hell? Like, where did he go? He's just gone? Yes, he's just gone. Weird. You wanna talk about suspicious, bitch? What the, like, did he get sucked up by aliens? Where do you go? You know, what happened? Claire goes home cause she really doesn't know what else to do. She's been driving around the area for a minute and he's just, he's not there. So she's like, okay, I'll just go home. Maybe he went back into the game. His phone did die. I'm sure he's gonna come back to the apartment. So Claire goes back to the apartment and she's waiting for him. He doesn't show up, but she does go to the authorities and she tells him what happened. Again, it's just kind of strange because how do you explain to them that, yeah, it was a minute away and then he was just gone. So authorities search the area, right? And they're looking, they're not seeing anything. Where is he? And then authorities come across a chilling discovery. William's cell phone, it had been found. They found it. It was smashed to pieces though. It was one of those old school, like that flip phone thing where it had the keyboard on it, LG. 
it flipped and then you can anyways it was like smashed in half and then the screen was smashed and it was just all sorts of smashed now authorities when they kind of like investigated in this more they knew that when you drop a phone or when like you try to smash a phone the screen smashes but the whole thing doesn't break in half they were like okay this phone has been like run over because it was broken in half. The screen was smashed. It was like missing buttons. It was hardcore destroyed. The way that they were able to identify that this was his cell phone was because the one thing that they could identify on the phone was the serial number that was on the phone itself on the inside. At that time, no other evidence or leads were found and authorities were apparently like really tight-lipped about the whole case. It was weird but nobody knew why now on october 14th william hurley's body was found in the charles river he was about 25 feet from the shore and on his body they found um, like his wallet and had cash on him and there was no visible signs of injury or foul play or that there was like a mugging maybe that took place authorities determined that his body had been in the water for just a couple of days he had been missing for a while now so Okay, so then an autopsy was done on his body and there was no physical injuries that were found on him. So again, they're like, there's nothing to determine what happened. They ruled it as a drowning, but it's like, why did he end up in the water? What do you mean a drowning? He just went out there and like went for a swim while he waited for his girlfriend? No, and it was just a big mystery. Like what happened to him now? There is a theory, and I believe this is actually um, being looked at seriously by authorities. Now, there is a theory that the smiley face killer was responsible for William's death, but that's still under investigation. They also looked at um, William's phone, and they saw that he was texting Claire and saying that he was really agitated with somebody that was sitting next to him. Now the smiley face killer, let me know down below if you would like me to do a Monday video on that, but the smiley face killer pretty much took young college students, males, killed them, and then put them usually in a body of water and then would leave like a smiley face by the body. But in this case, like there was no smiley face found or anything like that, but it could have been before the smiley face killer branded himself. In William's body, in the autopsy, they do like, they look for the physical um, and internal damage, and then they run a toxicology separately, and that could take a little bit longer to get back. So they ran the toxicology, and they saw that William had in his system a date rape drug. So they believed that he, Oh shit, that scared me. Oh fuck, oh fuck. So they believed, now this is the theory. This is the theory. They believe that William was sitting with his friend, right? The guy that was annoying William next to him put a date rape drug in his beer. And then William, that's when he starts to feel funny, right? He's feeling funny. He's feeling really tired and drowsy. He tells his friend, like, I'm not feeling well. I think I'm gonna go. So then he goes. Theory is that the guy that was sitting next to him who date raped him probably got up and went out with him, right? When William makes this phone call to Claire, he's like, I have no idea where I am because he's disoriented. He's got this date rape drug in his system. And the guy who was sitting next to him was lingering. And when he heard William say this, he loudly said, what do he say? The location, right? And he did this to throw Claire off. They weren't really over there. 
They were in a different location, but William didn't know because he hadn't even been familiar with this area. The date raper, he was just like throwing everybody off. When William gets off the phone, that's when the person, we don't know who, he takes the phone, he probably smashes it or runs it over. He takes William, he does Lord knows what, throws his body into the lake. Now again, this is still a theory, but when I was reading that, I was like, yes, like that sounds like it could possibly be the case, right? But it's like, it's still under investigation and I'm curious to see how it's gonna turn out. To this day, nobody really knows what happened. The whole thing is so weird. Hopefully the family can get some closure or understanding as to what happened. Now we have another story of a very mysterious disappearance. Todd Geib was 22 years old and on June 12, 2005, Todd had attended a bonfire party at like an abandoned orchid in Casanova, Casanova, Michigan. Todd had lived with his cousin and this like abandoned orchid was not far, a mile and a half away. It was a pretty large like bonfire slash party thing that was going on. Apparently there were over 50 people that attended this party. So apparently at this party, they were there for a while and then a fight broke out. And it's unclear if Todd was involved in the fight at all, but it was around that time this, this fight breaks out and then Todd, tells his friends at this party that he's gonna take off. He's gonna leave, he just is over it. Now, Todd had told everyone that he was just gonna walk back to his house. The person who gave him a ride kind of wanted to stay. Todd was just over it, he wanted to go. Now, from this like abandoned orchid area, it's just like a straight shoot. You just like walk and then he would be able to get home, mile and a half, no big deal. No one really thought much of it. He would be fine. He reassured everybody he would be fine. Now, between the time of 12.47 a.m. and 12.57 a.m., Todd made a series of very strange phone calls to his friend that gave him a ride to the party. He calls up this friend and he simply says, quote, I've had enough, hangs up. In another call, he said, quote, I'm in a field, end quote. And then the phone goes dead. And then he hangs up the phone. The friend calls Todd, it's ringing, ringing, ringing. Todd answers or somebody answers, but all that she could hear was what sounded like either heavy breathing or rushing of wind before the call cut out again. So you know that that wind noise when on the phone or whatever, you know, kind of, it sounds like it could be heavy breathing. So then according to like police reports and whatnot, the phone was never used again after that and no further calls um, had gone through. Todd doesn't show up at home. Everyone's like pretty concerned, like where where is he? No one can get a hold of him. They go to authorities and a massive search was mounted to try and find Todd. There were around 1500 police and volunteers um, that helped search. There was also an aircraft that was helping search the orchid and the area around the party. And then the aircraft also searched the stretch of road where he was supposed to be or would be expected to walk to get home. Again, 1500 people are searching, right? And they find nothing. They search thoroughly the area three times. So the whole thing is just weird. Again, like where the F did he go? Like, how do you just disappear? So then July 2nd, 2005, this is 21 days after he's gone missing. Todd's body was discovered. Let me tell you, 
The discovery of Todd's body is the creepiest and weirdest and most suspicious thing ever. And it was weird for a ton of reasons. First was that Todd was found in a pond right in the middle of the area that was searched numerous times. Like there's no way nobody would have seen his body. Then there was a the fact that his body was reported as being discovered standing upright in the water. You wanna talk about creepy? Look, his body was standing upright in the water with his head and his shoulders breaking over the surface, standing. He was fully clothed. His wallet was on him. So they knew, authorities knew, okay, he wasn't robbed, he wasn't mugged. And authorities assumed that he just drowned. He drowned, stood there and then drowned, right? Mm-mm-mm. So then an autopsy was performed on Todd's body and they and it was found that he had no external injuries, but he had a blood alcohol content of 0.12, which then led authorities to rule it as an accidental drowning while under the influence of alcohol. Now the case was closed, but of course, because the whole thing is really effing weird, there are those who do not buy the official ruling. Todd's family, they hired their own pathologist. So when they searched Todd's body, they had determined that, he, okay, look, he had been missing for three weeks. And what they had determined was that he had only been dead for about two to five days. So that led um, the family and the pathologist to believe that Todd was straight up snatched, right? It was also determined that Todd had no water in his lungs and that there were many clues that pointed to the body being placed in the water after death. Now, if you drown, you're gonna have water in your lungs. Like, he obviously didn't drown. Based off this evidence, it strongly points to the possibility that Todd was in fact murdered, yet the Michigan police, the Michigan State Police have never reopened the case. Sadly, Todd's family may never know what happened. Now, once again, I guess I should've just done a video on the smiley face killer. Once again, theories suggest it may have been linked to the smiley face killers. Now, the smiley face killers, like that's like their, their factors. Young boy or early 20s, college student, water. But again, there's no like smiley face found in the area, which was their signature. Maybe it was a copycat killer. Maybe it was the smiley face killers. But one thing we do know for sure is that Todd did not drown. Todd did not go for a swim, but Michigan State Police are like, no, sorry, he drowned. He went for a swim, he drowned. Now the last mysterious case we have is Henry McCabe. Now Henry was from Minnesota. Now his disappearance has potential clues hidden within an eerie voicemail. 31 year old Henry McCabe went out to a nightclub in Spring Lake Park on the evening of September 7th, 2015. So that evening at 2.28 AM, Henry's wife, Karen, who had been away visiting um, California at the time, she received a uncomfortable, unsettling, what the hell voicemail on her cell phone. So on this voicemail, it features two minutes of a strange, you cannot make out what he's saying or what's going on. There's moaning, there's groaning, there's screams, and there are growls. You hear on this voicemail like gurgling and really hype pitched screams of just terror. Towards the end of the voicemail, there is an abrupt moment of silence before you hear a voice which could be heard saying, stop it. Like it's a different voice. The last person to have seen Henry 
was his friend who he had been like with at the the club. And this friend claimed that he had dropped him off at a local gas station. That was the last time this friend had seen him. Police check the gas station video footage and they they don't see this friend dropping Henry off. But they also don't have any evidence that's pointing to the friend. So police and volunteers thoroughly search the area but they can't find any sign of Henry. Investigators were able to find the location of the final call. Final call was determined to not be anywhere near where the friend claimed that he had dropped Henry off. The phone had been like pinged miles opposite of the location that was mentioned. Authorities searched the area where the phone pinged and not a shred of evidence was found. On November 4th, 2015, Henry's body was discovered floating in Rush Lake. An autopsy came to the conclusion that he had drowned. It was unclear how Henry ended up in this lake or if there was any foul play involved and the case is considered to be unresolved and ongoing. The finding of Henry's drowned body doesn't seem to be really consistent with what is heard in his final voicemail to his wife. In the recording, the jumble of gargling, growls, moans, and grunts suggest some form of violence is being inflicted on Henry. And one investigator even said, quote, the growls turn into high-pitched moans like he's moaning in pain, end quote. Yet Henry's body did not show any signs of trauma or injury suggesting that he was indeed hurt. So what does a weird voicemail mean? Who was behind the voice saying, stop it? Very little of this case seems to make any sense and authorities have not been able to come to a conclusion on what the disturbing voicemail means or even if the moans and other noises came from Henry at all. But for now, the case of Henry McCabe's mysterious disappearance and death largely remains a strange mystery. That is today's very unusual missing person stories or vanishing stories and just unsolved mysteries. Hopefully these people get some type of closure on what happened to their family or their friend. Let me know what your thoughts are down below. If you have any theories or heard any theories about these cases. And also I would love to hear if you like this type of format, little mini stories, I would love to know. Other than that, please, 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 please be safe out there. I hope you have a wonderful day today. You make good choices and I'll be seeing you guys later. Bye.